Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on The American, the new Anton Corbin film starring George Clooney. Here in the Slate studio with me is Mr. John Swansburg. Hi, John. Hey, good to be here. We haven't done a spoiler in a while. I know. It's good to be back. I'm very delighted to be doing this one with you in particular. And also, I want to apologize to listeners. There's some work being done in the building where our studio is. So you may hear some random rumblings and drillings in the background, which actually are sort of suitable to the movie we're talking about, yes, given that there's a lot of machining. Right. Don't, don't worry. There are no assassins uh, on our trail, as far as we know. <laughs> George Clooney's not sharpening a bullet in the background. So the American, Anton Corbin. All right. Quick reaction, first of all. Was it better than you expected, worse than you expected? I have to say I, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know very much about this movie. Um, I really liked it. Um, throughout the movie, I kept thinking to myself, um, I'm really enjoying this. Um, I, maybe in part because there are long stretches of this movie where you are invited to contemplate uh, how you're feeling about the movie. It's not uh, the movie that I think either of us thought it was based on the just the cursory knowledge of the movie that we had. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think that would be safe to say. I mean, I hadn't actually seen the trailer. You and I just watched the trailer and we were laughing because it basically takes the, the three action scenes from the movie and makes it look like the whole movie is this super tense, suspenseful shoot 'em up Right. And which would be a natural thing to expect anyway from a late summer George Clooney spy release, right? You right. were sort of expecting something noisy and fun and possibly good, possibly not. The last thing I would have thought was that it would be this incredibly spare, austere, almost silent it felt at times sort of like an Antonioni movie or something. I mean, really I don't think did. it had those kind of artistic ambitions, nor did it achieve them if it did have them, but but it had that kind of empty space. Right. There's a lot of long shots of the architecture of the small Italian village where Clooney is living for most of the movie. There's lots of shots of his Fiat winding through the roads, connecting you know that village to another village, and sort of loving shots of the Italian countryside where he goes to try out uh, the weapon that he's building. I mean, and framed in a really unusual way. I mean, having just seen Eat, Pray, Love, which you know has these very postcardy golden shots of the Italian countryside, or I guess more of Rome, this is a completely different eye on Italy. You know, mm-hmm. It's much more um, kind of... Uh, I wouldn't quite say painterly. He actually used to be a photographer, Anton Corbin. This is only his second movie. And uh, and you can see that photographer's eye in the way he frames things. Actually, interestingly, the cover that George Clooney's character uses also is to tell everyone that he's a travel photographer. Right. Uh, he's not so convincing on, on that count, I thought. So we should definitely summarize the story. Um, I was just saying I was particularly delighted to spoil this one because this movie really is going to be hard to write about in yeah. review form without spoiling because essentially it kicks off with a, a huge unexpected twist. So you want to talk us through that? Uh, sure. So we, we start... Uh, in in this uh, sort of snowy um, Scandinavian-looking uh, space, and uh, George Clooney seems like he's just made love to a beautiful woman uh, who's lying naked on some kind of fur rug. Um, An unusual day for George Clooney. Yeah, surely. Um, and uh, they go out for a sort of post-coital stroll on like a snowy snowscape, and uh, all of a sudden they uh, sort of are walking back to the house, and they notice some footprints, and lo and behold, some kind of uh, assassin has has located uh, George Clooney's character, whose name is Jack. Um, and start they start um, being shot at by this uh, person who's dressed up in snow camo, and um, Clooney fires back and kills the uh, his would be killer, and then sends his paramour back to the house to get uh, to call the police. She takes about five steps, and then he shoots her right in the back of the head, executioner style. Um, and it's not it's not clear at all whether she was part of the conspiracy to cat get him or not. He just sort of shoots her with sort of sight unseen, um, and. Uh, yeah, and then we're sort and of, then the credits begin basically. Cre- I think yeah. there's one more little bit before the credits. Well, he goes begin, and meets but- with his handler, and then and then the credits begin. But we don't really know a who Jack is, b whether this uh, why these this uh, snow camo guy is after him, or c whether the woman deserved to die 
at all. And really, we kind of never know the answers to those questions uh, in this movie. I mean, we 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 can kind of glean that Jack is a, a sort of very well trained killer uh, and also crafter of killing weapons um, and he has a handler uh, who's sort of an older uh, older fellow who he communicates with via payphone um, but, but we, we never know there's never a moment where sort of plot speak plot wise the, the, the camera pulls out and shows us oh well it's actually this international organization of assassins or there's not any uh, big picture moment like that which is clearly deliberate it's not a question of sloppy plotting right and I, I think it's kind of an interesting gambit I mean it does leave you scratching your head at the end a little bit sort of saying so what what was all this about yeah exactly I mean it's entirely possible he's works for the CIA right I mean he could be or or is like a sort of loosely affiliated with with an American intelligence Operation. He, he could be entirely freelance. He could just be a, a, like a mercenary assassin. Um, he could be some kind of involved in some kind of cr- criminal enterprise, you know, international criminal enterprise. You really have no no idea, right? And the movie lets you wonder about it and figure it out very slowly over a long period of time. I mean, I have to say, I think a lot of people who go to this movie are going to be severely disappointed by yeah. it if what they're expecting is the kind of movie that we were talking about at the beginning. But if you, as we d- were saying we did, enjoy seeing... George Clooney work away at a lathe, you know, <laughs> be a gun machinist in total silence for long scenes, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah, you'll totally like it. And I actually think one of the things that's kind of brilliant about this movie and, and almost subversive is that not only does this movie not have that many action scenes, I mean, it does have a few and they're and they're well uh, blocked and, and they're exciting. But um, not only does it is uh, is there not much action, but Clooney's assignment in this in this movie that he gets from his handler is not to kill someone, which is which is kind of crazy. His assignment is to build Build a gun out of sort of a series of spare parts that he collects via uh, mail order and a local uh, raiding the the local mechanics shop. Uh, build this gun to very exacting specifications for another assassin. So there, are, you know the. You know, you would, there's time you would think the movie would spend kind of setting him up where he's sort of finding the, the mark and figuring out how he's going to take the best shot at that person and sort of trying out different scenarios. Really, it's just replaced by scenes of him working a drill, working the lathe, you know, looking looking down the sight lines of a, of a piece of metal to see if it'll you know, be good to, uh, for this gun that he's building. It's very strange. So in addition to sitting alone in his very spare hotel room machining uh, gun parts, George Clooney also somewhat mingles with some of the locals in this town, although his handler has specifically told him that he should lay very low and not talk to anyone. Right. Um, this is kind of a classic Western structure in a way where a stranger comes to town, right? Nobody knows what he's doing there. Everyone's a little suspicious. And then he starts to make these connections with some of the people in the town. Right. So, yeah, so he meets um, two two important people. One is, um, and this also sort of fits with the Western uh, idea, one is, is a priest uh, who sort of takes an interest in him uh, and it seems somewhat interested in, in he's, he's sort of a, a nosy priest, but he also seems legitimately, I think, interested in sort of saving Clooney's soul. He kind of, I think, senses that uh, this character of Jack is a very deeply troubled man and is not the man he says he is. And uh, I think he's at once curious and, and compassionate. Um, and it turns out the priest has a sort of secret of his own that we learn about later. Um, but that's sort of not much explored. The priest sort of flits in and out of the, the plot and, and is not that important. The more important uh, local character is uh, a prostitute named Clara who um, 
if the Abruzzo region of Italy offers prostitutes of, of this uh, beauty, uh, <laughs> I think it's it's soon to become a, a hotspot uh, vacation. Yeah, she has that dewiness that only a movie prostitute can yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, so but she's re- kind of a good character, I have to say. I mean, given how incredibly hackneyed it is that, you know, she would be the prostitute with a heart of gold who actually falls in love with a client. I mean, that is not a cringe-inducing subplot at all. No, it's not. Um, and there's a, they ha- there's a great um, sex scene between um, Jack and Clara uh, that's sort of unlike any prostitute sex scene that I can remember seeing on on film. Uh, and it's, it's, it's one of those nice European sex scenes, too, where it's not incredibly graphic. It's, you know, there's some toplessness. It's a little more graphic than, you know, an American movie equivalent might be. Right. But... I really like a sex scene where the story is advanced from the things that the people are doing together in yeah. bed, you know? I mean, right. in other words, there's more being signified than just they are having sex and it's hot, right? I exactly. mean, it's sort of like their intimacy is increasing throughout the scene. Absolutely, absolutely. And and um, Clooney is, is um, very interested in, in providing pleasure to the prostitute as well as receiving pleasure. I mean, I think that's part of what's uh, surprising. And it is, it's shot really well. Like, you can see you're kind of gleaning what's going on mostly by looking at Clara's face but but you can tell like you have a, a very good sense of what's happening and it's uh, it's interesting um, and it, it's it's charged and I think you're right it does advance the plot and it gives you a sense of you know for, mu- for much of the movie Jack Clooney plays Jack as as just having this completely blank look on his face um, and this that scene kind of gives you a sense that he's not just a cipher that he he's a passionate man and in fact his sort of his Achilles heel as an assassin seems to be that he he needs companionship particularly the ca- companionship of a woman, that's sort of what I think we're supposed to figure uh, learn from that opening scene. That somehow, what, I don't think that the woman he kills in the in the first scene has actually betrayed him, but in some way he sort of shacked up with a woman and let his guard down. And that's I think in his own mind that's why he he feels he was was a he, this guy was able to creep up on him. Um, and I think, but I think he feels guilty for having murdered that that woman. I mean, he wants female companionship, and it's a hard thing to want in his line of work. Right, and Clooney gets that across pretty well. I think. I mean, I really I felt like this movie is is a good bulwark against people who would argue that George Clooney just does one thing and he's just the cute Danny Ocean guy all the time. I mean, this is a very typical Clooney part in the sense that he's this hyper competent, handsome sort of suave guy. Right. But um, but it has a lot of cracks in it. A lot more cracks than some of his bigger blockbuster roles let show through. And I yeah. think he handles that super well. And he's not really suave, is he? I mean, he, you know, he essentially he's, his only love interest is a woman who he starts out paying for her services, and he, we never see him really charming her. They do have one uh, sort of dinner out that she, uh, the, the prostitute Clara, wants to. Uh, Duke see him in a, in a sort of venue other than the whorehouse, and she sort of suggests his dinner out at a local restaurant. And you know, there's it, there's not you you kind of might expect that scene to be the one where we see the kind of the old, the Rat Pack Clooney kind of working his charms, but he seems actually very out of sorts, as you would imagine an assassin who lives in the shadows would be sitting at a white tablecloth local establishment. He it's not romantic really at all. It's a it's a very it's a it's a it's a well played scene. It's it's interesting, but it's not. It's not the the Clooney of out of sight, you know, uh, wooing uh, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I was impressed that he chose this role because it's 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 a stretch for him, but it's a it's a it's an it's a subtle stretch. You know, right. it's not it's not like taking a big hammy Oscar-y, non Clooney esque role. It's more like taking that persona and tweaking it in a small way. Right, and I th- this is a point that you made last night as we walked out. I think it was a smart move on the part of uh, Corbin to, to cast Clooney because, frankly, I mean, I was very content watching these long scenes of of Clooney working the lathe, but I'm not sure. 
sure that there are that many actors who I'd want to watch work the lathe for that long. I mean, he he's such a magnetic presence. He's such a good-looking guy. He's he's really thin uh, in this movie, and, and uh, he's off, often walking around in sort of tank tops, and he's always doing push-ups and pull-ups, and I, you know that's probably part and parcel with being an assassin. You have to have a, a good uh, be in good physical fitness. Um, he, he sort of looks uh, striking, and uh, that that helps the movie in its long, quiet stretches. You you don't mind just sort of being. Uh, sort of fly on the wall in his little assassin's lair. If this if this had been Brendan Fraser <laughs> starring in the movie, I think I might have gotten bored. <laughs> um, no offense, to Brendan a Fraser. A lug at a lathe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that about how George Clooney looks because I really hope that that was a choice he made for this character and that that's just not George Clooney's new physique. Because if it is, he's getting a little bit on the on the anorexic side. Yeah, I feel he like he's lean. a guy who ne- needs a little bit more meat on his bones than that. Yeah, I, I suspect he did it for. Uh, for the role, but I don't know. It's a good. It's a good question. Now, while we're on the topic of his body, we should maybe um, discuss the tattoo that he has on the back of his neck. Oh yeah, because the, the the pull-ups are also a good opportunity to repeatedly see this little butterfly tattoo that he has on the back of his neck. And we've said so many nice things about this movie, but now we're getting into some territory that I think really doesn't work, which yeah. is this ongoing butterfly theme throughout the movie. So he has a butterfly tattoo. We don't know why. At one point, we see him reading in his hotel room, and he's reading a book about butterflies. Yeah. Never explained. And then people start to call him Signor Farfalle, Mister Butterfly. Fly. Right. Um, how does that nickname begin in the town exactly? I guess because of the because of the tattoo. I think it is because I think Clara um, sees the tattoo and, and therefore comes up with the with the Mister Butterfly nickname. And he does. He seems to be a, an amateur or maybe not an amateur lepidopterist. I mean, he he also there's a scene in where he takes he so he's building this gun for this other assassin who turns out to be a woman, uh, a quite attractive one. Um, and the sort of cover that he comes up with for showing her the the prototype of the weapon is that he's taking her on a sort of romantic picnic. So they have this kind of pantomime of a romantic picnic, which is a kind of uh, provides for a fun scene. Um, he even brings chilled wine uh, to the picnic, even though he has no intention of drinking it. Um, and the, actually, the, the assassin, the female assassin, says, "Oh, you even chilled the wine." And he says, "Well, you know, the Italian police—they wouldn't have bought it if you know, the wine <laughs> yeah. hadn't been chilled." Which is actually one of the only you know moments of comic levity in the movie, but like a well-timed one, and and, and was legitimately funny. Um, but anyway, uh, so they go they go on this sort of idol. It's sort of a fake idol. Um, and w- when she's sort of lying down on the picnic blanket as he's packing the weapon back up into the picnic basket, she uh, a, a uh, butterfly alights on her arm, and he sort of says, "Don't move." And he identifies the butterfly as being some, you know, endangered species. And then it sort of lingers on her arm, her sweater for a second, and then takes wing. And, and the camera kind of follows it into the sky in this meaningful way. Although I don't know what the, what's the meaning is. Do you? Well, I mean, I, I think the main purpose. I don't know exactly what the director's trying to get across as far as meaning, except that you know, it's it's the one spot of beauty. I mean, it, maybe I think it's basically supposed to be it's so corny, but I think it's supposed to be sort of his spirit. You know, the part of him that isn't this this beaten down soulless assassin, like oh, his yeah, soul. That, but the, that but the last sense. time we see the butterfly is the most cringeful of all, and I think it, it is the most cringeful because it's been so heavily set up by these other butterfly references. Right. So so now let's just spoil the end when things get really Sergio Leone like full on western toward right. the end. But should we mention that there? Uh, lest uh, anyone think that this Sergio Leone thing is something we're just making up. The uh, at one point uh, Clooney is in a cafe where a bunch of Italians are watching a Sergio Leone movie. Although I wasn't able to identify, it wasn't one of the Man with No Name. Yeah, I movies. didn't recognize the image either. I mean, it was it was clearly it was one of those you know dusty streets. It was a spaghetti Sergio western, Leone. yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't immediately uh, seem clear to me which one it was. But it, that that is. I think Corbett has said uh, that he was thinking of those of those movies as he made this one, so that's very much there, and it does have a sort of climactic ending. Um, do you want to do the honors, or well, let me see how it all comes together. Actually, all the violence kind of comes in one big spurt at the end. So, um, right. so Clara 
is begging Jack, that's the character's name, right? right? To to stay in this small town or to take him with her back to the U.S. And he's saying, no, I can't. I have to go, right? Then there's a moment that they meet up in some kind of a procession outside. Um, and he, not knowing that he's being stalked, but we know it at this point by the um, by the female assassin that he sold the gun to. Oh, right? but I think he does know he's being stalked. So we need we need to go back a step because he deci- I think he decides before the procession that he is done. He doesn't want to be an assassin anymore. He wants to go away with his prostitute girlfriend and live a live a life of quiet butter- butterfly. butterfly observation. So he calls his handler and says, "I will." I will make the drop on this gun. I will provide the gun to this assassin, but then I'm out. And he's been suspicious of his handler all along, uh, I think. Uh, I think he's been suspicious that his handler is actually doesn't have his best interests in mind. And so then he does – he provides the gun um, – he's, he's packing to provide the gun to the, his fellow assassin – but do you remember there's this, there's like a brief moment where he sort of reconsiders and, go, and reopens the, the the briefcase that the gun was in, and he sort of he pulls out the, the sort of stem of the gun, and we don't really see him what he does with it. But ultimately, and, and here we're getting into real spoiler territory. When the moment comes when the assassin, it turns out the assassin he's basically been building the gun that is going to be used to kill him. If that makes sense. He's delivering this gun to an assassin, and her assignment becomes kill Jack because Jack presumably because Jack wants out and you never you can never have, get out if you're an assassin. So the assassin the female assassin goes to kill Jack and the gun backfires in some way that kills her. Now my interpretation of that was that Jack had realized that that what he had, was doing was delivering up the weapon that would be used to, to eliminate his own life and had therefore re, made flip some switch, turned some screw and engineered that backfiring. Oh, I can't believe I missed such a huge plot point. You're totally right. <laughs> yeah. You are totally right. I had just assumed that some third person was killing her since we don't know, you know, who's after who in this movie and the movie's not particularly interested in showing us how the conspiracy works or how far up it goes. Right. I just thought some third person who at the time I thought was maybe the handler had picked her off. And then actually things started happening so fast after that that I stopped even worrying about who killed her and was right. kind of just looking at what was going to happen to him. But you're right. He He made the gun backfire so that it takes out her eye. She yeah. dies in this horrible way. Right. And as she di- as she's lying dying in this Italian street, he comes and tries to get the name from her of the person who... She works for. Right. And she reveals, I work for the same person you do. Right. Which I think he kind of already had guessed, but now he has confirmation of that, that essentially the jig is up. You know, His handler, who knows everything about him, is, is trying to get him. And in the meantime, the handler has come to the same little town and is actually trying to, to kill him. And they have a, a sort of very kind of uh, Sergio Leone shootout where they kind of both shoot each other at the same time. And Clooney, uh, Jack's shots, you know, sort of kill the handler almost immediately. Um, Jack is wounded in the abdomen somewhere and is sort of in a slowly bleeding, clearly slowly bleeding to death. And But he gets into a car and has, he's, he's sort of asked, he's told Clara to le- flee town and meet him at the uh, the picnic spot, his favorite picnic spot, Butterfly Junction. <laughs> the Butterfly Junction, and so the last, the sort of last shot of the movie is Clooney driving while bleeding uh, in the in this Fiat uh, to the Butterfly to Butterfly Junction, and he kind of gets there just as his life is expiring, uh, and sees Clara sort of standing in the in the sort of hazy sunlight by the river where they've uh, picnicked before. Um, and then she runs to the car, and then the, and then the, the camera tilts up really slowly up through the trees. And then here's where I, I think the movie really did lose me in the last few seconds yeah. is that you have this long shot of a white butterfly mounting up through the trees, right. which is so out of keeping of the mood of the whole movie. I mean, with the exception of this butterfly theme that keeps getting hammered at us, I feel like the movie's 
pretty subtle and pretty quiet in the points that it's trying to make. In fact, it's not even trying to make a heck of a lot of points. It's and then, incredibly quiet. And then along comes this really Catholic, heavy-handed, you know, it might as well be a Disney animated butterfly flying up through the trees. Yeah, I mean, surely it's almost surely a, a CGI butterfly at the very least. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the last thing we see. I mean, I guess the only other time where I, I think the movie sort of veered slightly towards the heavy-handed is there are a couple scenes where uh, Jack is having conversations with this priest about sort of the future of his soul and the nature of man and God that are a little bit, um, I don't know, they're a little bit much, but they, I don't know. They, I like the priest, and uh, I, those those conversations didn't didn't last too long. They they felt like they could have been actual conversations right. between a, a, a sort of country Italian priest uh, and a traveling photographer slash assassin slash lepidopterist. <laughs> so, but like, yeah, that that butterfly at the end was just like, oh, okay, now his spirit, you know, is 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 ascending towards the heavens, and and of course he he does have this one moment of recognition where I think he's not sure whether he's going to find. Clara there waiting for him and you know he, as, as he expires he, he sort of sees that there was a woman who was willing to sort of make that commitment to him to sort of go off with him who really did love him and trust him yeah. and that's sort of his dying moment so in a way he's sort of redeemed uh, in this in this uh, in this sort of in this in this way that is probably not the kind of redemption that the priest was prescribing for him, but it's you know he's, it's more like a personal psychological redemption. Like right. somebody got through to him, and that actually kind of happens in the procession, right? I mean, the emotional climax of the movie is happens in the procession when he agrees to take her to the U.S. and he says "Ti amo," and Clooney's really good in that scene. Actually, I mean, yeah. it's a scene that could easily have been super hokey, but he's been so good at being incredibly restrained and repressed through the entire movie that the idea that he's smiling and saying "I love you," you can come with me, is 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 pretty great. Right, and the thing that's so that's really too bad about the butterfly is it actually the last scene like I, I you know it, it was it would have been kind of good without the butterfly right if you just were left with that moment of him kind of he actually kind of re- reaches a bloody hand out towards the windshield as if to try to grasp Clara in the moment that he expires and you know it's pretty it's you know it's not the subtlest ending scene of all time I think you're pretty it's pretty clear that what's going on there that there is this kind of redemption that, that the woman he, he almost got the woman but in a way he did get her because he sees that she's there for him like that would have been a, that would yeah, have been kind of a nice. Yeah, nothing against redemption. I mean, yeah. I'm glad to see that character redeemed. It was it was that it was that extra hokey symbol for redemption that had to be you know ascending through the trees at the last moment. That was that was a little tough to take. Right. Really, this movie I would say overall is at its best when it doesn't try to do too much or doesn't try to do anything. I mean, right. what was sort of welcome about it, you and I both said as we're walking out, like I feel like my eyes have been scrubbed. You know, I mean, after a whole summer of these loud thrillers that are just constantly full of gunplay and every minute is scored by you know Hans Zimmer or something, <laughs> and you're walking out and this movie has all almost no music, right? The right. moments that it does have music, it's this really beautiful kind of chamber music. Um, I don't know who, who did the music for the movie, but I think it's super well done. Really Precisely because well it's so so spare. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it was just relaxing. <laughs> it yeah. was somehow, it was a little bit boring at times, but it was sort of a relief to be bored at the movie. Yeah, and it was, you were bored in the, hand, in the hands of a story. You were it, like, locked into what was going to happen in the story. I mean, although at a certain point, I think you, you realize that a whole lot wasn't going to happen. So you're going to send your friends to it? I think I would, yeah. Well, certain friends. Um, I think, you know, people who really, you know, want, uh, you know, an, action, an action-packed picture, you know, I just don't, I don't know that they would have the patience for this. But anyone who has a, a, a you know, a, a soft spot for Clooney, I would send, for sure. Because um, I think it is, it's a slightly different role for him. And it's a, I think it's really well played. And anyone who likes a sort of a thoughtful, a thoughtful thriller and it has a little bit of patience, I think they'd really en- enjoy this. And I kind of want to just support Corbin. I mean, I really liked Control, his his movie about Joy Division, um, and this is only his second movie. Um, so I just by, by virtue of boosting his ticket sales, I think I will I would like to sort of put in a plug for this movie because I think it's really interesting. And you know, if he made a couple small decisions differently, it would have been it could have been that much better. But I, I really had a blast seeing it. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I will do the same. I'll tell people to go see it. Well, thank you a lot for coming to see it with me, John. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Our producer is Krishnan Vasudevan. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.